Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. Whether you're a retail therapy convert or find shopping to be an annoying chore, there is no way of avoiding the huge impact the retail industry has on our lives. The products available to us, the price we pay for them, and the service and delivery we receive along the way shape our daily lives in ways we are rarely aware of. Despite our advancements in technology over the last decades, retail is still a working capital and labor-intensive industry that employs approximately 10% of the workforce in developed countries. With a strong focus on reducing labor costs and optimizing the supply chain, it seems that most technological innovations in the retail industry have focused on automating labor-intensive tasks, whether it be through online shopping or retail checkout counters. In my personal opinion, the retail customer experience has not improved markedly in my lifetime, and in some cases, it has gotten worse. Anyone who's ever interacted with a self-checkout machine will know exactly what I mean. With this in mind, What is next for the retail industry and what can technology and data science do to improve efficiency and customer experience across the many disparate parts of retailing? To answer these questions, I recently spoke to Shanta Mohan, who is a true expert in this field. Shanta is currently an executive in residence at the Integrated Innovation Institute at the Carnegie Mellon University in Silicon Valley. Here, she co-delivers courses, contributes to curriculum design, and mentors students in their projects and practicums. Shanta is also a co-founder and longtime executive of Retail Solutions, where she ran the company's worldwide product development team that built products and services which made the company a leader in retail analytics solutions. These solutions were used by consumer packaged goods companies and retailers across the globe. She holds a PhD in operations management and a Bachelor of Engineering. In this episode of Leaders of Analytics, we discuss the applications of AI and retail with the most potential, the differences between retail in developed and developing countries and how AI must be customized for different markets across the globe, the typical consequences of items being out of stock and how AI and other relevant technologies can help combat out-of-stock problems, and much, much more. Let's get to it. Here is Shanta. Shanta Mohan, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. It's so great to have you on the show. 
Thank you, Jonas. Thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, wonderful uh, that I got to see you on Zoom, you know, after collaborating with you on the book, Demystifying AI for Enterprise. So I'm very honored and pleased to be on this uh, podcast. Uh, the honor is all mine. And yes, for the audience, Shanta and I have been collaborating on the book called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. And if you're interested in learning more about that book, you can go to leadersanalytics.com slash AI. But this podcast is all about hearing more about you, Shanta, and also about how AI is being used and will be used to an increasing extent in the retail sector, because this is where you have your background and expertise. Uh, and I've given you a little bit of an introduction already in the intro to this podcast. But could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career background, and what you do? Sure, sure. Currently, I'm a mentor and project guide at uh, Carnegie Mellon University's Integrated Innovation Institute. Prior to that, I co-founded a company called Retail Solutions, a leader in retail data analytics, and I ran its uh, global product development organization. Prior to that, I had technical and educational consulting, and I ran worldwide product development at a company called Concilium, a manufacturing execution systems company, which was eventually acquired by the semiconductor uh, equipment giant Applied Material. Prior to that, I got my PhD in operations management from the Tepper School of Management at Carnegie Mellon University. And I got my undergraduate degree in engineering, electronics and communication engineering from College of Engineering, Hindi, India, which is the oldest engineering colleges, one of the oldest engineering colleges in India and in that part of the world anyways. And I am very passionate about gender equality. So you will find me talking about that uh, in a lot of the social media. And I'm all for diversity and sustainability. So I spend my time kind of uh, talking about those and uh, amplifying others who talk about those uh, on social media. I am a member of uh, Society of Women Engineers, where I also mentor and volunteer. And I have written a book other than this demystifying AI, one book on Indian women engineers. And other than that, I'm a distinguished Toastmaster, which I uh, continue to be engaged in. And I am actually part of two clubs, one of which is a bilingual club. One, the, the bilingual aspect of it is English and Tamil, which is my mother tongue. And I spend a lot of my time with my alumni association trying to make it better for our engineering college back in India and also in mentoring students there to get out there and you know get into careers and so forth. That's <laughs> all I wanted to say. And that is a very interesting and very holistic background, I, I would say. So I'm hearing a lot of giving back to people and giving back to uh, society and, and the institutions that have helped you along the way, such as your yep. university. Toastmasters, for those who don't know, is a public speaking organization, which is very large across the world. And uh, I personally also have been a member of Toastmasters for a good 10 years. It's, it has helped me uh, tremendously in my uh, public speaking ability and just the way I conduct myself. So 
I would encourage anyone who can to join that organization, especially when you are a technical person. It's, it's very good to combine high technical skill with the, the gift of the gap, as they say. So Shanta, how did you get into the world of data science and AI? Okay. So I mentioned to you that I uh, started a company called Retail Solutions with the, my co-founders. We were four of us. And at that time, RFID was uh, all the rage. And we were looking at the technology and saying, what are all the different problems it can solve? And we decided that probably one of the things that it can do is to help retail industry by tracking all the products right from the beginning, from manufacturing all the way to the retailers and then to the consumer who's buying the product and taking it out of the store. So we said RFID is going to create so much data with every read that happens to the tags that are applied to these products. And so it's like the IoT, (laughs) when IoT was not a term that was part of our vocabulary. But anyway, at that time, Walmart had mandated that all its suppliers will tag their products. And we, we said, oh, this is wonderful because Walmart is the biggest retailer. And uh, you know, if they mandate something and the suppliers will do it, and so we'll have tons and tons of data to, to analyze and provide analytics on the data. Unfortunately, what happened was we found that It was not a mature technology at that time. And so the data that we got was really not very usable. It was a hit and miss in terms of the reads that happen on the data and so forth. So we we were kind of stuck at that point because we had been working with the largest CPG customers, uh, PepsiCo and Nestle and Unilever and Procter & Gamble. And we were doing a lot of pilots, but we never really could get past that pilot into sustainable solution. And then Walmart suddenly said they realized the mandate is useless because there's no way you can do this. Uh, So they pulled the mandate off. So what that did is we had to kind of scramble and see how we can pivot our company to use the legacy data point of sale, inventory, distribution, all of that data that already existed in retail and solve problems using that, using analytics. So we decided to do exactly that. We created solutions for solving out of stock, improving promotions, reducing theft and so forth. Things like that, that are, you know, common problems in retail. We were able to address with already existing data. And so that's what we did. We created a retail analytics company, which at that time, we probably were pioneering the software as a service solution. And that is the birth of retail solutions. And that's how I got started in uh, data science. Of course, at that time, we weren't using AI. However, after I retired and I joined Carnegie Mellon University's uh, Integrated Innovation Institute, I started mentoring and guiding students in their uh, projects in, in the innovation lab. And we worked closely with Emirates Airlines. And some of the projects that we did used AI 
in order to increase revenue and also augmented reality and virtual reality to help them make customers become more aware of Emirates Airlines. So my journey in data science, bulk of it has been in one of the traditional ways we do data analytics, statistics, and so forth. But the more recent engagements with the guiding the students has been in AI. So that's my data science journey in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. And I love that combination of entrepreneurship growing an organization, then becoming a proper corporate that, that has uh, the product development side to it to a large extent and to uh, sort of a deep portfolio of products. And then also seeing it from the educational and uh, scientific lens, which is the university. So you've really got a full spectrum of it there. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the interesting things that I picked up on is that you were born in India but you've lived in the United States for a very long time now. Right. So really, as a result of that, you would have a very deep understanding of retailing, both in the developed and the developing world. And I think also a very unique perspective on how AI will impact the retail sector across the globe and in different styles of economies. So perhaps could you tell us, about how AI and machine learning is being used in retail across the globe and what are the different use cases in different places? Sure. So when I talk about across the globe, I have two reference points, right? One is US, a developed country, and the other is India, a developing country. And you know, if you look at these two countries and the geographies they are in, you can see that the retail evolution kind of parallels the evolution in technology. So for example, in the Western world, in US, for example, the invention of cash registers, credit cards, and electronic cash registers, information system, worldwide web, e-commerce, all of that had made it possible for retailers to then use those technologies to advance solutions for retail here in the US. Uh, and it, it's probably true for other uh, developed countries. But if you take a country like India, the advancement in technology has not quite gotten there to the extent of the developed countries. Obviously, that's why they're called developing countries or third world countries, for, <laughs> if you want to use a term like that. But I think that the use of AI in these different regions reflects the characteristics of these regions. For example, in the US, labor is a resource that is in shortage. And therefore, a lot of the AI solutions that are used in retail in the US tend to focus on how can I do more with less number of people. And that permeates everything that is done in the U.S. So, for example, let me back up a little bit. E-commerce is kind of leveling this parity between the different regions. E-commerce is e-commerce no matter where you are. And people are using AI in e-commerce in many different ways. But one of the most widely used AI is recommendation systems. So if you shop at Amazon, or you shop at Flipkart in India, 
you get set of recommendations every time you go to that website they know all about you and they bring up you know orders that you had placed before and say do you want to order this again or they say oh uh, you know you like this product before would you like to try this one things like that you know so that recommender system that uses ai is prevalent in across the globe everywhere but when it comes to physical retail uh, physical brick and mortar stores things are very different so in the us the focus has been on for example how do we run a store with as few employees as possible so you you know you get all these um, capabilities where the store is equipped with uh, all kinds of capabilities which then allow you to check out without touching anything you know you just pick up uh, your product you put it in a cart the cart is a smart cart and it uh, it knows what you bought and you can just you know check out without talking to anybody and other ways ai is being used is for example for theft prevention in stores uh, it's a big problem for stores and people are looking to use ai to reduce theft by knowing what a customer is buying or are putting in their cart and if they happen to walk out with without paying you, know, you get alarms and <laughs> you get stopped and so forth without in the past it used to be just cctv cameras but now they are smart they can uh, detect things so and, and also if you look at uh, things like warehouses they are being fully automated robots are everywhere and in stores they are also trying out solutions which would count products on the shelf to detect any out of stock and and so forth so that's that's all in the developed world in the developing countries and and taking india for example the focus is not so much on reducing labor because the labor is available in plenty and also the way the retail infrastructure is you have so many mom and pop stores uh, so called kiranas that they they are nowhere near being automated and and so you have to kind of see where can you get help with respect to ai so now we are getting many you know multinational so amazon uh, and walmart they're all putting their roots in uh, india and one of the things for example flipkart is using ai for is to actually be able to deliver what customers ordered to remote locations so in india the postal system is not quite clean so you don't have these very specific zip codes and good addresses and customers usually when they say deliver it to me here they usually fill up something that the system has to kind of struggle to understand so the ai actually there are systems being developed flipkart in fact uh, invested in developing an ai solution that will actually classify address the customers gave and try and figure out where exactly it should be delivered so the focus is different however in india also they are now starting to use ai to parallel what's going on in the us such as the stores that don't require you to be in touch with any humans and then of course in uh, apparel they are using smart mirrors to be able to say you know whether a customer 
uh, when they buy a, a dress, for example, to show them all the capabilities and details to say, does this fit you or not, and so forth. So that, those are all some examples, but I'm sure there are plenty more. And of course, on the manufacturing side, again, AI is being used for creating quality products and quality control, being able to determine you know, whether a product is under spec or not, things like that. Yeah, I think those examples really bring to life not just how AI can be used across the world, but also just how different some of these economies are when you get down to the minutiae of, of what happens. It's, it's a really interesting development in, in retail because I, this is my personal opinion, but I think technology in many ways have, has made the retail customer experience in the beginning of it, at least where we are now, which is the beginning of this evolution of, of technology and AI in, in retail has, has actually made the shopping experience a little bit worse in many cases because it's not advanced enough. So one of my examples is the self-checkout that a lot of supermarkets have now where you go and scan the barcode yourself and put it in your bag and you have to put the bag there, otherwise it complains and one of the store, store assistants have to come and unlock the machine and you know, you're know standing there swearing at the machine half the time. That actually for me is really uh, pulled, now in this case, a supermarket, which is your, your everyday retail. Uh, there's lots of types yeah. of retail, but it's pulled things in the wrong direction. But then the other day I was down at my supermarket and I was weighing my fruits and vegetables on the scale, but now they have built AI into the scanner so that it could recognize that this was a red apple, this was a banana, this was a broccoli. And rather than me have to go through the alphabet alphabet to pick out where's broccoli and where and so on, it, it, it suggested that this was a broccoli and would I just type yes or no, which I think is a... A wonderful example of where it doesn't work, but you can improve it and actually use uh, artificial intelligence where there's a repeatable pattern, which is really what AI mostly is about, recognizing repeatable patterns and coming up with right, repeatis- right, repeatable right. solutions yep. um, to, to solve that. Now, that, that's my personal story. Um, <laughs> but the- No, you're right, Jonas. I think that we are not quite where a complete store for example, can be automated. And, you know, so many technologies have to come together, right? There's a vision technology and that has to be married up with the weighing capability and all kinds of things. So, yeah, we're not quite there yet. I mean, even some of these things like the inventory taking by robots, it's all experimental at this point, but it'll get there one of these days. Yeah, we'll have self-driving supermarkets and self-driving cars at some point in the next 15 years, I, I guess. Yeah. And, and I haven't been to one of these supermarkets because in Australia, we don't have, where I am, we don't have uh, anything that resembles remotely uh, these uh, Amazon stores that we hear about that are uh, being uh, implemented or trialed, at least in the US. So uh, hopefully one day I'll get to experience that myself and see how well it works. Yeah, re- retail moves slowly. This, this is what I have learned because when we were doing in retail solutions during 2008 or so, I happened to visit Germany, the Metro store, and it was called the store of the future. And it had these smart cards and so on, but where did it go? It hasn't gone anywhere until now. Now it's other companies are coming up with solutions to, to help move that along. So 
it takes time. Yeah, it is complex because often there are many disparate products being sold in one location. That's what retail often is about. And that just adds many dimensions of complexity. And one of the other added complexities of retail in the 2020s is managing and optimizing this omni-channel customer experience that we see more and more. So people will shop in-store and online, and, and sometimes there'll be a mix of both, and click and collect or uh, whatever the term is being used. And consumers increasingly expect that retailers actually provide a personalized experience with the data uh, involved, and that that's, this data carries over between physical and online environments without any problems. So where do you see the opportunities to supply AI in this process to sort of augment and optimize omni-channel customer experience? So first of all, when we talk about a seamless experience, frictionless experience between online and brick and mortar stores, you really are talking about data that is common across these systems. As you know, many brick and mortar systems are legacy systems. They, they haven't been updated in a while and they have their problems. The point of sales systems that capture the sales are dependent on the store clerks to do a good job and so forth. And then there we have the, the e-commerce system, which is brand new. And so for a customer to have this uh, omni-channel experience that is seamless, these systems have to be integrated well and must have one view of the customer. So if I'm Shanta shopping online and I go to the store, same store, let's say it's Walmart, the store must understand that this is the same Shanta who was shopping online elsewhere. And if I walk in and I have a smartphone, for example, and I'm logged into my Walmart online app, it knows that I am that person and it can seamlessly, just like the e-commerce site, recommend to me, hey, welcome Shanta, you know, here are the things that you usually buy. Would you like to take a look at them or would you like to try a new thing? So that, that the identity of the customer has to carry over from one to the next. And not only that, if you think about it, it can also keep track of your journey across these two paradigms and be able to do things like recommending, uh, I mean, understanding where I have been and where I'm going. So for example, if you take the case of a mother who has a newborn baby and she shops for diapers, for example, it knows when this mother shopped for it. So it keeps track of it, suggests, you know, diapers to her, you know, on the online portal, it knows to uh, do that. In fact, it'll say, why don't you subscribe and get it at a regular interval and it'll keep track and tell you all that. But it would be one wonderful if this using the smartphone, if I walk into a store, it can also know the same thing. And over the years, it can actually see what the age of this baby that I had, now it's a toddler, now it's a 10-year-old and so forth and recommend things accordingly. So that that's kind of the seamless uh, omni-channel experience that one would expect. And uh, some of it is there. It's, it's already coming and many retailers are trying to 
make this happen. But it requires the customer to say, okay, I'm going to be participating in this omni-channel experience by opening my smartphone app and, and be on it as I walk through uh, the store. And if I want to ask a question of, oh, where is this product? And you can tell me, oh, aisle number, blah, 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 whatever. And, and so you can have a seamless experience uh, in Omnichannel, but it requires a lot of work. And we are not quite there. In fact, if you go shop in uh, on the Best Buy store website, for example, it'll recommend, oh, you are in this zip code and the product that you want is at, at these, these stores. And who has inventory, who doesn't have inventory? Unfortunately, the inventory numbers are more often than not wrong. They're not accurate. And that's because there is a lag between when the stores sync up their inventory to the online portal. And these are the kind of things that trips one up in the omnichannel case. But with AI working on a data that is you know, unified across these different channels uh, can really help a lot. Yeah, very interesting. And th this whole supply chain component is so critical too, isn't it? That a big part of customer experience is actually just that the product is there when you need to buy it and, and available. So I think of uh, during the pandemic here, my wife's been buying new baby clothes for our daughter and it was click and collect because we had a lockdown and you couldn't go to the store, but they will prepare it for you and you can go and collect it. But Sometimes it took so long to get the order prepared that my daughter would have grown out of that size of clothing by the time it's ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the customer experience is just not there. We're missing out on the, the fun, uh, you could call it, of going shopping and feeling and touching the item and, and picking between different things. And it's more basic, more basic shopping experience online in that sense. But also if, if it's not available uh, online or offline, then it's a big problem. Uh, where do you see AI helping to optimize that supply chain? So um, AI can help in terms of making the retailer uh, be aware that out-of-stock situation is going to happen and convey that back through the chain to the manufacturer to say, hey, we are going to run out of this product by end of the week. So you, you usually send us this product every two weeks. We would like you to see if you can send us more to this store or, you know, this, if it's retailers uh, distribution point, uh, send it there. So AI can help in terms of anticipating the out of stock. And, you know, in, in retail solutions, we had actually solved this problem. I, I don't want to call it solved because it's really helped reduce out of stock as opposed to completely eliminate out of stock. But today, with the power of AI and with the kind of data that's available, one could see that you can eliminate some of the supply chain issues with respect to the availability of the product. However, just you know, looking at the data that the stores generate in terms of point of sale or the e-commerce site generates in terms of uh, sales for a particular product and how often it sells or how often it is uh, stocked and so on, it really doesn't uh, prepare the retailers to face the kind of supply chain problems that we have faced since the pandemic. Uh, 
think about all the ships stranded in you know different ports not being able to you know offload and and all of that that really is telling you that it's much much more than a, a localized uh, retailers problem it's it's really a you know <laughs> bigger problem than that when crisis happens uh, things do get affected but yeah it can definitely help in terms of anticipating out of stock and anticipating out of stock and and understanding what is the reason behind that out of stock for example you can actually have product in the store but if they are not on the right shelf uh, and nobody knows where you put it or and the store clerk is not around to be able to go pull it and and stock the shelf you're in trouble often times products are not ordered when they are should be ordered because the shelf tags have been misplaced and so really when somebody is going to check the shelf and say oh this 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 product need to be ordered it's uh, not ordered correctly and so there are a number of reasons why stores go out of stock and ai can help in terms of knowing that how do we solve this problem so in the old days you have to take inventory every so often cycle counting it's called and you can do it too often because you don't have the manpower to do it but with ai you have robots that can roam the aisles and check the shelves and scan and see whether it's there or not um, they even there is even a company that actually has drones flying over the shelves to see if there are pockets of out of stock on the shelf so with ai i think you can help to reduce a problem but i don't know whether you can completely eliminate it but it can help i think there are great examples that really highlight how retail is still full of human interaction human error and the ai will also be full of that human error it's very hard to create an end-to-end -end system that works seamlessly you got to really attack some of these smaller very specific bits of the process which is counting and so on and so it's very interesting where this is going to go another element of the ascent of online retail in in the last 10 20 years uh, or actually two consequences of that have been that small retailers with a more unique product offering so let's say you have a an online tea shop with really interesting blends of teas Yeah, uh, they can find uh, this so-called tribe of loyal customers. They can find their niche customers across the globe. So they might have a better time than they would have otherwise if they were on a on a street corner. Uh, but in terms of e-commerce, where price is the main differentiator, uh, there's really only room for the big end of town typically. So you get this polarizing effect. You either have to be really differentiated, or you have to be really cheap. Do you think AI in retail will increase or diminish these effects? You know, that's a very hard question, uh, Jonas. I thought about what you said just now about having this effect of uh, for small retailers, you know, they are able to sell a lot more to to a lot more customers across geographies and so on. I think that will increase, I think. More and more smaller retailers are discovering the power of being an e-commerce vendor and you can see this everywhere right even very small retailers can now sign up on shopify for example and have the power of everything that plat provides in order to sell your products 
And more and more people who provide AI solutions are discovering that these small retailers also need help with analytics, just like these big retailers do, and they are offering solutions. And so if you are a vendor on Shopify who's selling only a few million dollars worth of goods, but you get to have all the analytics that you know the big retailer enjoys, you know, their own solution and so forth. Here a vendor is making that available to you. You can find who is your best customer, are they repeat customers, you know, even down to the personalization and recommendation, you can do all of that. So the first point about AI, helping the small retailers differentiate themselves, personalize and so on, will happen. Now, in, on the pricing thing, I think you will find that there are two types of customers, right? Those who are very price conscious and, you know, it, to them, it doesn't matter what these retailers do in terms of their practices, labor practice or, uh, you know, treating their partners, whatever that might be, they don't care. They care only about price. I get a great price on Walmart or Amazon and I'm going to buy from them. And AI, you know, requires a lot of investment in R&D and in, in investment in sustaining those solutions even though the cloud has kind of uh, even that feel for everybody, it's still uh, the big box retailers who have the advantage of using the advanced solutions like the AI for dynamic pricing. I don't know. Maybe you will always have those customers who are very, very price sensitive and they want to buy the cheapest and so forth. But I think there are other customers who actually say, I really don't care so much about pricing. I really trust the smaller retailer I'm going to buy from them. I don't know whether I answered your question or not. It is a hard question and there are a lot of variables in it. I think one of the, the things you highlighted is the, the fact that AI is not a cheap thing and it's not a set and forget. I think a lot of people have, have the misconception about AI that it is this technical solution you implement and then it'll just work and it'll work forever. And one of the things that I often say to people is AI implementations, data science solutions in general, they disguise themselves as IT implementations because it seems like you're installing this technology and then it'll work. But a lot of our IT systems, so software, call it, uh, is typically designed to do one thing repeatedly and always get the same outcome. So you put in X and you get out Y all the time. As long as X is X, then Y will be Y. But AI is actually different. It's trying to take data and put variants back in rather than, than technology taking variants out and making everything the same. AI is trying to put variants back into that technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're saying that there's a benefit to that because everyone can get different outcomes. But there's also a lot of risk because you're creating different outcomes and you got to pick and choose between the right and the wrong different outcomes. So what I picked up on was kind of that element that AI is expensive and it's hard for smaller retailers to do because it requires this ongoing investment and monitoring. And also that the retailers of, of small category, their option is really to band together, call it, by using solutions that are more aggregated. Um, so your Shopify example of can, can Shopify and partners build 
a solution that works across a lot of the shops in the Shopify environment, that sort of thing. And that's their, that's their key. That's the ticket to play in the AI space. So one of the things that is always a question on my mind is we have so many potential users of AI in any industry, but in particular here in retail, but which ones do we pick? Where do we start? In your opinion, what are the AI applications in retail with the most potential and maybe where do they sit across the big and small retailers? To me, I always go back to my childhood where we live very close to a mom and pop shop. My mother wouldn't think twice about sending one of us to that store to buy something. You know, she'd say, oh, I need this. Please go get this one. So I, we would make so many, so many trips to this shop, which was just around the corner, right? And, and the retailer, uh, the mom and shop owner, knows you so well that they you don't even have to open your mouth and say, oh, this, oh your mom sent you for this, right? And, you know, it, it's one of those things where the retailer knew you so well. And to me, uh, with AI, that's what you can achieve in a global scale. So to me, the personalization aspect of it, being able to service me with what I need with a frictionless approach, that to me will definitely win in, in the AI space for retail, for example. However, let's not forget all the things that retailers need to do to uh, keep their operations running. Because retail is a very, very small margin business. You, uh, you really have very little leeway in terms of your uh, spending and your uh, revenue. And so the focus for retailers is always that optimizing their operations. You know, how can I run my business in such a way that I get some decent profit? P people think that, you know, retailers taking too much money. It may be the case in some retailers. For example, luxury goods retailer definitely has a, a big margin and so forth. But the you know, regular run-of-the-mill products selling people, you know, their margins are small. And therefore, any AI solution that helps in automating uh, some of this back-end, you know, capabilities in, in a way that it gives the retailer an edge, that, that would, again, be another solution that would win. So who do you think will be the winners and the losers of this AI evolution and revolution <laughs> uh, that that's a that's a very good question so i kind of wanted to think about you know winners and losers let, let, let's look at the quality of the data right people who invest in the power of data and data science and invest in the infrastructure to get good quality data they will be winners whatever, whoever they are, retailers or, you know, distributors or whatever. Because people don't realize if you want to use data science, you've got to have good data. Without that, everything falls apart. So you can dream all you want, AI models and so on and so forth. But if your data is not good, it's, just, it's no good. So if anybody who pays attention to the quality of the data that is needed to deliver a solution, I think they will win. And the retailers, you know, if you look at retailers, 
those who augment their operations with the AI will win because I think you will always have people who expect a human touch. I don't know about you, but I really like going and touching my vegetables and feeling them and, and buying them. And so uh, I really sometimes don't even like that, you know, they package some of these vegetables because it, it really doesn't appeal to me. There will always be people like me. And, and to me, if you augment rather than completely replace humans in the retail arena, uh, they will win, I think. And of course, you know, those who have the ability to spend uh, a lot on their R&D to advance their solution, because AI itself is evolving. So anybody who has the ability to use cutting edge technology and uh, able to sustain them, they will win. And I think for, for manufacturers or the suppliers, those who embrace this DTC, you know, direct to customer consumer model with their e-commerce portals, they, they will definitely, I think, have a leg up on others who don't do that. They will always rely on retailers to, to do that. And ultimately, I think con consumers will win with the AI because they get so much of the personal touch that they have lost with the technology, you know, at least, you know, in a sense that personalization, uh, you know, they, they will win. And then of course, if the stores, you know, implement some of these um, retail assistants, digital assistants, if you will, you know, there's wise technology and there's, uh, you know, capability to help a customer in the store uh, navigate what they want to buy. If they can do that, consumer will win because they'll have a very good experience. Yep. So I'm hearing a lot in that comment. I agree with you that personalization and ease and the augmentation of the experiences such that it still feels real whether it's online or in store is so key and the last element that you open the comment with which i'll highlight is the quality of the data is everything to this if you don't have the right input you will get the wrong output yeah and i had our our co-author and friend Kirk Bourne on the podcast in the previous episode. And one of his mentors was metadata, metadata, metadata. So you need this contextual information about the situation right. and you need it to be collected accurately and efficiently and in a timely fashion to be able to create this personalization. Now, Chanta, I want to step away from, from AI and retail for a for a minute here because you are a very studied person and you are a wise person uh, who's done a lot in your life in the space of uh, technology and engineering. So I think you have a broader range of wisdom to, to give to listeners. So I want to touch a bit on some of the other things you've done in your past. And, um, and actually, I want to start with a quote from you that I came across in my research, which says, uh, innovation happens on the bedrock of design thinking, system thinking, and computational thinking. And don't forget emotional intelligence. I think this was a fantastic quote that summed up a lot for me, but I would love to hear from you what it means. So could you elaborate on that quote and tell us how it applies to those working in data science? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm uh, surprised that you found this quote. It's, it's, it's there somewhere. I forget exactly where. So, you know, 
data science is all about addressing problems, providing solutions, right? Anytime you want to provide solutions, you have to think about how are you going to do it? And to me, that requires critical thinking. And I divide this critical thinking into these three different uh, buckets, design thinking, systems thinking, and computational thinking. And when you are trying to solve the problem, you also have to be thinking about the person for whom you are solving this problem. It could be yourself. It could be a whole set of customers and users in this part of the world or that part of the world, whatever that may be. And when you are trying to solve problems, the first thing that you have to do is to push aside all your preconceived notions about what this problem is. You have to kind of say, what am I trying to do? So in the data science mode, you have to kind of say, let me understand what the problem is. And then start questioning what is going on and then questioning the assumptions and questioning the implications. So design thinking helps you do this in a very methodical way. Uh, it helps you reframe the problem in a human-centric way and creates ideas for brainstorming and then has a process for prototyping and testing and so on. So it's a very methodical process, this design thinking that helps you solve problems. And, and the systems thinking comes in when you are dealing with very complex problems because in a complex problems, you, it's not a one vertical type thinking that can help you solve it. You have to kind of know that you are touching something, but that something is part of a bigger entity, bigger system. And when you change something with this one part, it's going to affect the complete system as well as some other parts of the system. So you have to kind of have this thinking, which is looking at the complete picture and, and then asking yourself, how can I help solve this problem? And you may never solve this problem completely because the complex systems also have a way of keeping on changing, right? So that's another thing. But as long as you understand how to approach systems, I, I think that will be helpful. So that's the systems thinking part. And then the computational thinking is all about looking at problems and trying to decompose them, understanding their patterns, abstract out, you know, concepts and, you know, creating algorithms. So computational thinking will help you get through these different problems in a way to then come up with something that you can apply using an algorithm, if you will. And to me, all of these are great in terms of critical thinking, but if you forget about the emotional intelligence, which is really about your strengths and weaknesses and knowing yourself and knowing your collaborators, because many of these problems cannot be solved by one person. It has to be solved by teams and working with teams, knowing how to relate to the other person or other persons working well with them in order to solve problems is really, really very important. So I put them all together. And, and so that's why that, that quote. I love that. And I think that most data science solutions that fail, fail not because of the quality of the design of the data science solution itself, but 
all the stuff around it, the, the systems thinking, the system that it fits into has not been considered appropriately. Yep. Thank you for elaborating on that. There's a lot for us to take away from that. Now, Shanta, you have mentioned already that you have written a book called Roots and Wings, which is about female engine engineers. Mm-hmm. And that's very different to writing a book about AI. Absolutely. <laughs> you tell us a little bit about that book and what made you write it? Sure. You know, when I retired uh, from retail solutions, I uh, asked myself, what do I want to do with my life? Up until that point, I was so heads down on making my startup successful. I had time for nothing else. And now I had all the time in the world. And I said, how do I want to spend my time? And Gender equality to me has always been one of those things that I'm very passionate about. I always ask the question, you know, the world is made of 50-50 male and female, and we should have equal rights and equal participation. And, you know, the economy can benefit because you do that. And I said, maybe I should put role models out there for girls to study STEM, you know, science and engineering and technology and then get into careers that help them do that. And so I said, what is the best way to do this? And I thought, okay, I have so many women who went before me uh, because I graduated in 1971, which is far back. But in 1940, three women joined my engineering college, which up until that time had been completely male. And I said, These women did it at a time when it was thought of. And so putting their stories out there would be a good way to tell girls, hey, you can do this too. And I discovered about all the other women, the 29 women who went before me over the years from 1940s to uh, 1970s. And I said, okay, let let me uh, write this uh, as a book and, and put it in the hands of Uh, girls who can read it and feel that they can do it because not everybody is a superstar not everybody is uh, out there by themselves doing things they need their families and their co-workers and so on to help them and I thought if I tell the actual stories of all these women it will be a wonderful way to put the role models out there so that's why that that book (laughs) I think that's a wonderful story and a real inspiration to, I'm sure, a lot of women today to find their version of being the first female in, in a male environment. And I don't know if you've noticed, but lately there's been a hashtag going around on social media, uh, something to the effect of this little girl is me, where all these fantastic women who've achieved a lot are talking about where they've come from. And I've really found that very inspirational to look at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that goes across genders for sure. Now, Shanta, we're towards the end here. I have two questions left for you. The first one is one I always ask of guests on the show because I ask them to pay it forward. The way we do it is I ask you, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why? Ah, Good question. There are so many of them, but I thought in keeping with the theme of retail, I wanted to give you somebody's name who I feel would be a good guest on your show. Her name is Min Chen, and she is the co-founder and CEO of a company called WISY, W-I-S-Y. 
She's also a fellow Carnegie Mellon alum. So we have that in common. And she, her story of, uh, you know, how uh, she came to co-found and being the CEO, CEO of YC is an is a inspirational story. And her company is into making it better in retail, uh, especially this problem of out of stock, you know, in retail. That's what the, her company does. And I think she would be an excellent next guest for you. She definitely sounds like the perfect guest to come on the show. So thank you for that. And I will have to look her up for sure and uh, see if I can get her on here. Last question, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your content? I am on all the social media. You know, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So you can Google me, Shanta R. Mohan LinkedIn, uh, or I'm on Twitter as well. So you can, you know, find me very easily. But I also have a website. Uh, shantamohan.com. You know, I'm always happy to, uh, you know, engage with people. So on LinkedIn, you know, people reach out to me and out of the blue, people will say, oh, uh, you know, can I talk to you about retail for uh, a bit? Uh, we are doing this particular solution or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And I do recommend listeners to reach out to Shanta. She is a very giving person with her, with her time and her knowledge. So uh, don't hold back. I'm saying that, of course, because I'm not the, at the receiving end of that. So uh, I hope you'll get an appropriate amount of connections, not too many, uh, to overwhelm you there, Shanta. Shanta Mohan, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics. It's been such a pleasure to have you on here and to hear your story and for you to share your knowledge around AI and retail with us. And I know, like me, you're looking forward to our book coming out Absolutely. in a month's yeah. time. So. When that happens, uh, we'll be uh, celebrating together. And uh, until then, thank you for being on here and all the best. Jonas, I'm so honored to be on this show. And I wanted to say, when you talk about leaders in analytics, you are a leader in analytics. So one, one of these days, perhaps you should be on the other end of <laughs> this podcast talking about your experience and your knowledge of what goes on with the AI in uh, your neck of the woods. That would be very interesting to me. So thank you so much for having me.